It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I hate Facebook. There, I said it. I mean, over the years, I really liked it because it was a good way to keep up with friends and family, find out who got a new job, who's had a baby, uh, somebody was sick, that sort of thing. But now it just pisses me off all the time. For example, I use Facebook like I use Twitter uh, to post uh, segments that we do on Media Buzz, columns that I write. I have a column today about the uh, war in Ukraine, which I previewed for you yesterday as I was thinking it through. Um, and yet, I hit the button to put it up, you know, got a headline, a picture. And sometimes, oh, <laughs> the other day, it was yesterday, I posted on the Media Buzz Facebook page, fine. I tried to post it on my personal page, and the, the picture didn't come out. So I said, all right, it's a glitch. So I deleted it, and... I posted it again, and I got this big message, spam, you are attempting to do illegal spam. This is not allowed. Like, we're going to come to your house. Uh, what spam? I made, I deleted the other one, and I made a second attempt to post it. Anyway, when I do post things, as with a couple of segments on this past Sunday show, well, um, I hit the button, and then I get this message. Do you want to send a message to all your followers? And no, not really. I just want to post the thing. So I hit no, and then it posts. And then the next day, same thing. And then two days later, it's the same thing. After I've said no about 30 times, do you think Facebook would get the hint that I'm going to say no all the time? Now, probably somewhere in there I could turn it off, but, you know, I don't know how to get to the sub-menu. Um, and also... And this is, you know, self-serving, I guess. But, you know, a year or two a year or two ago, maybe it was two years ago, Facebook decided to change the algorithms having to do with people in news. And Facebook decided in Mark Zuckerberg's infinite wisdom that people didn't care about the news so much anymore. They cared about making connections with other people. And that just sent the traffic for lots of news outlets plummeting. I mean, I routinely, you know, you would put up a column or a television segment. Uh, or a summary of my podcast and, um, you know, get maybe 2,000 hits. If it was a good day, 3,000 hits. Suddenly, a couple hundred. Now, you could say maybe people decided they didn't like me anymore. But, you know, this is a show that's been number one in its time slot for coming up on 10 years, has a million and a half viewers. So just as I looked, just as an example, on Sunday, I posted one segment, and then these were pretty sort of hot topics said it reached 301 people, but 33 comments. Similarly, another segment reached 288 people, but 31 comments. Now, how believable is it that one out of 10 people who sees this is going to comment? I think it shows, you know, it's the comments show the level of engagement. So I think they're actually, the posts are actually reaching more than these measly numbers. I don't know. Um, but in any event, why should Facebook dictate, which Facebook, which 
has made a great deal about caring about journalism, want to limit the reach of journalists. And again, you know, this this was written about a lot at the time, so it's not like I feel singled out. I don't know. I would like uh, Facebook to get it together. Oh, now it's charging. It's it's copying Elon Musk, uh, like Twitter Blue. Like if you want to have security for your account and not be impersonated, how about handing over twelve bucks a month? Somebody wrote, this is like the airlines, like they take all these things like just the peanuts uh, uh, that used to be free and start charging. They don't charge for peanuts, but they don't provide the free meals anymore. I mean, a lot of things that we all just took for granted. Anyway, moving on from Facebook, Donald Trump, I think this isn't even breaking news anymore, but is really unhappy with Fox News. So here's the Truth Social post. Fox News is promoting Ron DeSantis I don't know how many more ways Trump can twist the governor's name, but I'm just the messenger here. So hard and so much that there's not much time left for real news. I, I don't agree with this at all, but okay. Um, he said, reminds me of 2016 when they were pushing Jeb. The new Fox poll, which has always been purposely terrible for me, has Trump crushing the sanctimonious but they barely show it. Now, hold on. The poll came out on Sunday. If our polls, which are done by professional pollsters, a combination of a Republican and a Democrat, are terrible for him, how is it that this poll shows Trump with a 43% to 28% lead over Ron DeSantis among Republican primary voters? Um, But they barely show it. So it was talked about on Fox News Sunday. I mentioned it when my show came on because it fit into something we were discussing having to do with Trump. Um, the idea that, you know, they did the poll, the poll's not usually fair, but in this case it was good for him, so they barely mentioned it. I mean, it's just sort of like a rant. Instead, they go with losers like Karl Rove, Paul Ryan, and now even Jesper. That's a reference to former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who've been wrong about everything. Isn't there a big, beautiful network that wants to do well and will make a fortune besides fake news? Oh, yeah, he thinks this should be an old Trump network that just covers him 24 hours a day. Story number one, the fallout from the Wuhan lab leak theory. The new news here, in case you haven't been following it, is that the U.S. Department of Energy has now come out and said that the idea that the coronavirus came from a leak in that Chinese lab is very possible. Now, there are a lot of nuances to this. So there's two federal agencies that say it's very possible. There's two others who say they don't think that's the cause. Um, And, you know, obviously the geopolitical implications are great. If this could ever be proven, I don't think it will. The nuances of the story have to do with whether the assessment is based on, from Intel people, is based on low confidence or medium confidence. So it's not like it's settled, that it's an absolute fact, although some are treating it that way. But at least you you have a government agency, part of the Biden administration, um, saying, yeah, you know, this may well have happened. So in Mediaite, Isaac Shore did something that is a very useful service. He went back and looked at everything that media people were saying when the coronavirus struck and the debate, the argument, the pissing match about uh, the origin of the virus uh, was raging. But this is not 
about, well, you said it was not a virus leak, and now it looks like it might be. Because people, you know, make their best assessment with the facts they have at the time. This is about whether or not it could even be discussed. And this brings me back to Facebook and other social media platforms as well, which refused to allow it. It said, this is so far beyond the pale. This is crazy, stupid conspiracy theory that we're going to block it. We're going to delete it. So let me just read some of this because he took a lot of trouble to find out what, and you know, I mean, I obviously China lies and I don't think it was released as part of a bioweapon because it's, look at all the damage it's done to China. Um, so I will accept that it was probably an accident. And again, we don't have all the facts here. I don't think we ever will. All right. So, um, Senator Tom Cotton, Republican Senator, February 17th, 2020. Cotton did an interview with Fox and here's what he said. We know that just a few miles away from that food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that researches human infectious diseases. Now, we don't have evidence that this disease originated there, but because of China's duplicity and dishonesty from the beginning, we need to at least ask the question to see what the evidence says. Now, that doesn't seem like uh, throwing a hand grenade. We don't have the evidence, but we should ask the question because China can't be trusted. Okay, so... We have the Washington Post headline. Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked. Already debunked. And later the Post issued a correction saying, well, it's fringe. And the New York Times had a similar headline. The Daily Beast said that Senator Cotton was promoting a coronavirus conspiracy theory dismissed by actual scientists. Uh, Tom Nichols, who is now with The Atlantic, said that Cotton's comments, what did he say here? Uh, Let me just scroll down. He said, this is an example of why arguing with a conspiracy theorist really goes well. And Applebaum, formerly of The Washington Post, now staff writer for The Atlantic as well, and a member of the advisory panel of that Global Disinformation Index, She said Cotton's comments, she compared them to Soviet propagandists who tried to convince the world that the CIA invented AIDS. Now, on Face the Nation, CBS, Margaret Brenner had uh, an envoy on from the Chinese Communist Party. And she asked about this uh, and then posted the clip because obviously China denied it. CNN did a fact check of the Arkansas senator according to a couple of scientists who uh, didn't like what he said. Let's see, there's more here. Um, Molly Jong Fast of Vanity Fair. When he's not spreading conspiracy theories online, he's trying to go to war with everyone. Uh, Jamel Bowie of the New York Times. Tom Cotton is one of the most irresponsible and dangerous people in federal office. Washington Post Jennifer Rubin. Cotton either has become an irrational conspiracy monger or he has contempt for voters. And this one is interesting. Uh, the New York Times lead reporter on COVID. Uh, this, uh, her name is Porva Mandevilli. And she said, someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots. But alas, that day is not today. So now it's about anti-Chinese racism. 
uh, CNN columnist Jill Filipovic. I'm taking the time to do this because I want you to get the sense of how utterly widespread this was, and, and people, and there's, you know, I, Tom Cotton's a big boy. He, he can uh, take all the criticisms, but, you know, the, the, this is just one example of the criticisms that went to anybody, any journalist, any scientist who dared challenge the conventional wisdom that, of course, it had nothing to do with that laboratory. Jill Filipovic, CNN columnist, said that Trump's racist China virus bullshit which resulted in lots of anti-Asian bigotry and attacks on Asian people, put liberals understandably on the defense against any theory that seemed to blame China for COVID. Mehdi Hassan of MSNBC. The simple reason why so many people weren't keen to discuss the lab leak theory is because it was originally conflated by the right with the Chinese bioweapon conspiracies and continues to be conflated. Uh, yeah, maybe. But... Something that now is sort of the position of the United States Department of Energy, so at least it has that credibility. You couldn't say it. You would just you know, sort of boot off the public stage. You would boot it off Facebook. You were a fringe character. You were a conspiracy theorist. Now, I didn't know at the time, and I still don't know. But the point is, this is not the only example, like, you know, when people used to say, you got to lock down the schools because we got to protect our kids. And I initially felt that way. You know, you don't want your kid going to school and coming home with COVID-19, particularly in that first year when um, the virus, the vaccine, I should say, hadn't yet been developed. And then even after it was developed, uh, you know, it kept changing. You couldn't get it unless you were over 12. Then you couldn't get it until you were over five. And the point is, um, when we see now, when lots of studies now are showing the damage that those extended lockdowns did, you just, you know, all the learning that they missed. Um, I would throw in, you know, social skills and just, you know, not able to live a normal life. And now there are studies on masks showing, questioning, I should say, their effectiveness. Um, it just goes to show you that don't shut down the debate. If people want to say what, what you or if you're the person who runs, you know, or decides what can be posted on a, a giant social media site, unless it's not threatening violence or a hate attack on an individual, let people have their say. Sometimes things change. This has been throughout history. Famous, you know, people who, uh, scientists over the years, uh, were harassed, Socrates, uh, and yet turned out to be right. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, let's move on to number two. I talked about Dilbert yesterday, you know, the once popular comic strip that got canceled abruptly by hundreds of newspapers because of what the creator, Scott Adams, did. And just briefly, you haven't seen this elsewhere. I mean, he did this video rant 
in which he acknowledged. He said, I, I'm, I'm destroying my career, right? You can't come back from this, am I right? And it was just purely racist. Like nobody is saying, oh, no, no, he was misunderstood. He talked about black people being a hate group. He suggested that white people should stay the hell away from black people. Uh, there were more inflammatory quotes like that. I'm tired of seeing videos of blacks beating up on non-blacks. Um, and why he did this, I don't know. So I want to just do a little bit of the, um, the fallout here. So Peace and Politico says, Dilbert disappeared with lightning speed following those racist remarks, but it shouldn't come as a shock to anyone who has followed Scott Adams and Dilbert. Adams, who is white, was an outspoken presence on social media long before describing black people as a hate group on YouTube. And to some, Dilbert had strayed from its roots as a chronicler of office culture. The editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, which dumped Dilbert last year, said the comic strip went from being hilarious to being hurtful and mean. The Los Angeles Times, also dropping it now, along with the Washington Post, Cleveland Plain Dealer, USA Today, and many, many, many other newspapers, um, had actually had to replace four of Adams and Strips last year. Uh, here is a quote from Mike Peterson, columnist for the blog The Daily Cartoonist. He kind of ran out of office jokes and started integrating all this other stuff, so after a while it became hard to distinguish between Scott Adams and Dilbert. Uh, he said the distributor, Adams said, excuse me, that his distributor, you know, every if you're a columnist or a cartoonist, you know, you... you belong to some syndicate that charges papers to run your work, and then that's how you make your living. Uh, said his distributor didn't really have a choice because clients and other cartoonists were mad. They were just forced into it, says Scott Adams. And, you know, he also says, I've been canceled by my book publisher, Penguin Random House, uh, which was going to publish a book, Reframe Your Brain, with nothing to do with Dilbert or any of this. Um, he said this is, I think, a, a key, a clue to why he is so angry. Uh, he, there was a primetime animated Dilbert series that ran on UPN for two seasons. He said he lost that for being white when the network decided to target a black audience and that he lost two other corporate jobs because of his race. So now we see that Scott Adams has, a, in his mind, has a reason for seeing himself as a victim, uh, that he is a victim uh, of a culture that is against white people, and that's why he completely went off on blacks as a hate group and so forth. NPR reporting that, according, I should say, Ward Sutton, he's uh, contributed illustrations to the New York Times, New Yorker, and Rolling Stone. By Adam saying he's been canceled, it's him not owning up to his own responsibility for the things he said and the effect they have on other people. He's trying to turn himself into a victim when he himself has been a perpetrator of hate. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's not cancel culture. It's a self-immolation. Uh, and not only that, it wasn't like, uh, you know, slip of the tongue or an angry moment. It's a video in which Scott Adams knew exactly what he was doing, knew that he was blowing up his career, and did it anyway. If you like what he said, I guess you could say he has some courage. But this is not one of these, like, critics say it was insensitive. It's out-and-out racist. No question about it. 
And it's sad. It's just sad that a guy who was able to bring laughter to many millions of people uh, has gone out in this fashion. Story three, the first round of the Chicago mayoral election is today. Politico has a nice piece um, talking about Lori Lightfoot and how she may lose. And it's interesting beyond if you don't care or don't care about Chicago politics because it deals with crime and we see evidence of that remaining a hot issue. It certainly was a hot issue during the midterm election and remaining a hot issue everywhere and especially in local elections. So in grave danger, says Politico, of becoming the first Chicago mayor defeated in 40 years. Well, I don't know. For most of those years, it was either Richard Daly or Richie Daly Jr. But yes, there were others too. Um, Lori Lightfoot stood before an audience of, mo- her, of mostly her black fellow women at a union hall over the weekend, issued a warning to the left-wing challenger who is threatening to deny her even a spot in the runoff. I guess it's the top two finishers. He wants to cut your police, Lori Lightfoot said of Brandon Johnson, who's a Cook County commissioner who's having some momentum in the race, um, meaning he would take officers from your streets making sure that you're safe. Lightfoot's fate may depend on whether enough other black voters will listen to her last-minute appeal and television ads where she's broadcasting a closing ad, closing commercial, assailing the African-American Johnson, so both of these contenders are black, as a radical who'd wreck our city with dangerous defunding of police. Four years after Lightfoot won what was her first bid for elective office, um, with a coalition of blacks and liberal whites, many of them angry about the police killing of Lachan, Lachan McDonald, her punched left strategy offers a vivid illustration about the shifting politics of crime. I mean, here you have the African-American mayor of Chicago saying, I want lots of police to keep your neighborhood safe. And anybody who wants to defund the police, which is you know, perhaps the stupidest slogan in the history of American politics and hurt those who uttered it, you know, including Black Lives Matter after the George Floyd murder and so on. So, um, polling shows that this issue uh, is by far the biggest driver of voters, uh, says Politico. And uh, some polls indicate that defunding the police is highly unpopular with black voters. Yes. Because they're the ones, you know, if they, if they live in neighborhoods that are not so great, and that's obviously not true of all of them, but those who uh, don't have the higher, higher incomes... Um, who do you think bears the brunt of crime? Um, so the uh, reporter interviewed Lori Lightfoot, who said this is a national phenomenon. Um, she said that the, for the person who's scared in my city, it doesn't matter what's happening anywhere else. And a, a lot of white voters, she says, are feeling a touch of violence for the very first time. So, you know, that's really interesting because if you don't feel safe on your block, in your hood, um, your kid maybe walking from the school bus to home, then all other issues do pale. You know, it's kind of like the local version of national security. And that's why I think, I mean, I don't know if she's going to make it to the runoff or not, but that's why she is hitting this issue so hard. And... You know, it's also been an issue uh, in New York where the mayor is a former police officer, Eric Adams. 
Um, he's had some trouble because of crime in New York City and in the subways. And remember that probably the main reason the Democrats didn't barely hang on to the House was because uh, Republicans won enough victories in New York State, and some of that was in the surrounding counties of the Big Apple, uh, where, and even the uh, governor, Kathy Hochul herself, didn't start talking about crime until, I don't know, what was it, the last two weeks of her campaign. So it's a big deal. I mean, it may come and go in the headlines. You know, when I first started covering urban affairs decades ago, it was a big deal if a black politician got to be the mayor of a major city, you know, whether it was David Dinkins in New York or Harold Washington in Chicago, um, you know, they had to put together coalitions that included uh, some white voters or they couldn't win. Now, today, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, the new mayor of Los Angeles, Karen Bass, the mayor of Chicago, at least for now, Lori Lightfoot. And there are several other examples it's not only not unusual, but it is just a fact of life um, that many black politicians are able to win in these big cities. Uh, and as I say, crime is one of those issues that just cuts across all kinds of demographic and ethnic lines. And it seems to be up a lot. Uh, you can look at different sets of statistics. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. I want to get to number four because I, I have a, a great news story involving an NFL owner. But before I do that, I want to talk a little baseball. Baseball has changed the rules for this coming season. It will have a pitch clock. Meaning... You know, uh, this is all about shortening the length of the games. The average baseball game, I think, goes on for three and a half hours now. That is obviously too long, given the pace of this society. And surveys have shown that younger people think that's way too long. They want to get it down to at least three hours. And, you know, unlike football, unlike basketball, unlike soccer, there's no clock in baseball. But now there is. A pitcher, if no one is on base, has 15 seconds uh, after getting the ball or picking up the ball, to deliver the pitch to home plate. If there are men on base, he has 20 seconds. And there was a preseason game, uh, Boston and Atlanta, that, where the game ended on a pitch clock violation. I mean, that seems a little creepy and kind of a shame, like you don't want it to be the determining factor in the game. But it is an effort to speed up the game, and I think it's a good idea. They've got these oversized bases now. Uh, the size of pizza boxes to get in a little more offense. Anyway, let me now come back to the Washington Commanders and its owner, Dan Snyder. And, you know, you might think this is a local story because it's a big deal in D.C., but it's a big deal in the whole National Football League, and I'll explain why. Washington Post has a story today saying that Snyder and his lawyers have demanded that fellow NFL franchise owners and the league indemnify him against future legal liabilities and costs if he sells the team. Two people with direct knowledge of the NFL's inner workings said. Snyder's demands, which include a threat to sue if the indemnification condition is not met, 
have angered some owners and renewed discussion about the possibility of taking a vote to remove him from ownership of the Commanders if he does not sell the franchise. Uh, one of those people said he wants indemnification if he sells. The owners regard this as ridiculous and absurd and believe Snyder should indemnify them for any legal claims that may arise. So what you got to know here, just quick background, is that there have been more than one investigation of Snyder and his running of the team. There's a current one going on now commissioned by the NFL. Oh, and Snyder would like to keep those findings confidential, whatever is turned up. Um, that is also ludicrous, and the league plans to make it public. Uh, you know, you've had questions about the finances of the former Redskins. You've had uh, questions about the atmosphere there, how women were treated, how cheerleaders were treated. This has been going on for a long time. So everybody in the NFL basically wants Snyder to sell. Um, and so the idea, like if he, if he in the past did things that could bring legal charges or, or whatever, why, and then he sells the team, why in the world would the owners and the league want to cover his costs for things that he did as the team owner in the past. It doesn't like who would agree to that? Of course, the league is pissed off. Uh, he, he's got one big ally in the league, and that is uh, Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, who's trying to broker a deal where Snyder would sell and leave the NFL without, you know, all this um, drama. Now, a few uh, major people, some who already own sports franchises, um, are interested in buying the Washington team. One of them is Jeff Bezos, and here's where it gets really interesting. So Bezos is worth about $120 billion. Snyder is looking to sell the commanders for up to $6 billion. It's pretty clear, especially with a partner, that Bezos cannot bid anybody. You know, somebody else bids five and a half billion, he can bid six or higher. Uh, and I have the impression now that he's hired, that Bezos has hired an investment bank to help uh, with the process. Snyder has also hired an investment bank to help with the potential sale. Um, that Bezos really wants to do this. And, you know, you're really rich and you've been in space, I mentioned the other day. You know, who wouldn't want to own a football team? Um, and Snyder, you know, is just the, the contempt here uh, for Dan Snyder, not just because the commanders have been a losing team for years. I, mean, I remember bumping into him. He was really drunk at some party. This is like 25 years ago. And he was railing against the coverage of the Washington Post. Well, most sports team owners don't like, you know, the local paper, uh, which takes a lot of shots at them, especially if the team is losing, run a losing streak. And that is why... There are now reports, originally in the New York Post and The Athletic, confirmed by The Washington Post, that Snyder has rebuffed every effort by Jeff Bezos to be at least a contender to buy the team. It's because of his ownership of The Washington Post. Now, maybe this is posturing, maybe it's not. But nevertheless, um, it's a classic case of, because The Post not only has been tough on the team in terms of what's done on the playing field, you know, all of these investigations, a lot of them were broken by the Washington Post. And the Post, you know, doing its job as the hometown paper, um, 
has done a lot of good, solid investigations of the team and the owner that sort of forced the NFL to jump in and conduct its own inquiries. Okay, number five in my continuing effort to chronicle the impact, and man, a lot of people are freaking out, of AI on our society. Here's just a cute anecdotal story, or not so cute, depending on your point of view, uh, in The Atlantic. And the author says, I have a part-time job that is quite good, except for one task I must do. Not even very often, just every other week, that I actively loathe. Task is difficult, doesn't take more than 30 minutes. I scan a long list of short paragraphs about different people and papers from my organization that have been quoted or cited in various publications and broadcasts. I pick three or four of these, and I turn them into a new standalone paragraph, which I am told is distributed to a small handful of people, mostly board members, to highlight the most important press coverage from that week. Okay. Four weeks ago, I began using AI to write this paragraph. The first week, it took about 40 minutes, but now I've got it down to about five. And he explains how he does it. The process takes place in the playground feature, which offers something that's similar to ChatGPT. Uh, the playground presents a blank page, and I write my prompt at the top, which always begins with something like this. Write a newspaper-style paragraph out of the following. Then I paste below my prompt three or four paragraphs that I selected from the list. And, this is crucial, I have learned, I edit those a touch to ensure the machine reads them properly. Sometimes that means placing a proper noun closer to a quote or doing away with an existing headline. Perhaps you're thinking, this sounds like work too. And it is, but it's quite a lot of fun to refine my process and see what the machine spits out at the other end. I like to think that I've turned myself from the meat grinder into the meat grinder's minder or manager. Uh, and finally, uh, the Atlantic author says, I keep waiting to be found out. I keep thinking that somehow the copy will reveal itself for what it is. But I haven't, and it hasn't. And at this point, I don't think I or it ever will, at least not till this essay is published, which has led me to a more interesting question. Does it matter that I, a professional writer and editor, now secretly have a robot doing part of my job? Uh, well, you're sort of lying about it. So you're, you know, or maybe you could convince your bosses that this is a better use of your time. The machine does it quickly. Um, it's not about politics or opinions. Uh, it's a more efficient way. You know, like some people use the exa example of spell check, but that is a minor tweak compared to having this chat program or playground program from OpenAI to do your writing. And, you know, for me as a professional writer, I think, well, what if this gets better and better and better? Uh, you know, if the really boring stuff can be done by computers, then fine, I'm all for it. But, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking to think that, oh, man, what if this thing gets really, really good? Well, at least I'm pretty and I get to go on TV. A little self-deprecation there. Thank you for spending this time with me. If you'd like to subscribe and you're not already getting this on your phone, uh, Apple iTunes is a good place to do it. I will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.
The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.